Good morning. Um, so excited to be here with you guys this morning. So excited just to open this word with you. But um, before we do that, I just want to, I don't normally like re-announce things that, that have been announced, but um, I just believe in this so strongly. So I just want to say it again, if you weren't here or maybe uh, you haven't picked yours up and just stuck it in your Bible or something yet, but we're going to start a thing this year called manna. And um, yes, thank you. Um, one, two people are really excited about it. Um <laughs> But uh, we're going to do a thing called manna this year, and it's um, just the idea behind it is leaning in to, to God's word together as a house. And I know maybe for some of us, um, we, we feel really bad at reading the word. Maybe lots of us read it every single day, and that's great. We're just going to read together. Um, and maybe for some of us, we just never do that. And um, anyway, we just wanted to invite you this year um, to come together as, as a house and, and read through uh, the scripture together. So you're going to get these once a month, and it's just got um, the date and then um, whatever chapter we're reading that day together. Um, so it's not like we're reading 40 chapters a day, like 7,002 verses. We're just reading one chapter today. We're committing uh, to reading one chapter together a day. And, um, man, if you've ever been through Psalms, some of these guys are like three verses. So those days, we're going to be really good at it. And some of these are a little longer, and maybe those days we won't be as good at it, but... Um, just as a house that we would come around God's word and say, God, what would you say to us as a people? And God, where would you lead us? And um, anyway, um, if, if you miss, here, here's how this works, just so you know. If you miss January 1st, you can still join us on January 2nd. Right? Oh, I missed the first day. I'm done for the rest of the year. You don't have to do that. Um, you know, if you miss... January 1st through the 9th, you can just go ahead and join us on the 10th. Um, if you miss a day, like say you read the 1st, the 2nd, and the 3rd, and you miss the 4th, you don't have to quit, right? You can just pick it up again on the 5th, right? Like, we're just committing to, to, to read the scripture together every day for a year. And if you miss a day, it doesn't mean you're done, right? You just do what you do when you mess anything else up. You just get up and, and go again the next day. And I just want to say that because I think for some of us, that's such an issue sometimes. Like, we, we'll miss a day and we're like, okay, well, I'm done. I missed it. And that's, man, that defeats the purpose, right? Like, we're just asking that we just come back the next day and do it again. So um, we're going to keep talking about that throughout this year. But I just want to invite you just right here in the beginning of January, right? Like, New Year's resolutions. We're going to mess that up on day two, so it's whatever. But we can come back at day three. Just to commit, just to just to read God's word, uh, man, it, it'll change you. It'll change your life, and uh, I believe that. And and uh, man, I just I want to do that with you. So anyway, if you got one of those bookmarks, grab that. If you don't, then they'll be in the back on the way out, and you can just get one there. But um, this morning we're going to be in Luke chapter two, and uh, we're just gonna since since Christmas Eve. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> We're just gonna we're just gonna dive into Luke two together this morning, and um, I know for some of us, you're like Christmas is over, and that's great. Well, we're not gonna talk about Christmas because there's more in Luke two, believe it or not, uh, than just the Christmas story. So um, this morning we're in this weird transitional place, right? Like next year we'll be in 2020, uh, which is cool and weird, right? Like if you've been around for more than like the teens, then that's that's an odd date for you. And uh, you're like, 2020, wow. Like, I was born in 1986, and here we are, 20. There's like a bunch of different numbers. Um, so <laughs> it's weird for me. It's surreal for me. But next week we'll be in 2020, 
we just left Christmas, and, and we have one week, and it was like, God, what, what do you want to do with that week? What do you want to say in that space? And uh, Luke 2 just kept popping into my head, and it wasn't because we had just been in the birth of Jesus, because there's other things we could talk about, but um, we're going to talk this morning about my second favorite story in Luke 2. <laughs> so the first favorite, right, is obviously the birth of Jesus. Jesus has been born in Luke 2. We see the shepherds come and the glory of God's there and the angels are there and it's this amazing thing. Um, and then after that, like Jesus is still in existence, right? He doesn't just like show up again in 33 and a half years, although... That's what happens in verse 3, or chapter 3. But we got a little bit more in, in chapter 2, and there's this amazing story about a guy named Simeon that, that I just have been thinking about. So um, we're going to read that this morning together. But before we do that, I'm just going to pray, and you pray for me. Father God, um, we need you. God, I'm going to screw this up if you don't speak, um, because I don't have it in me. So um, God, I just need you to move in this place and your power and your grace and your authority, um, God, this morning and just call us to something greater than ourself. God, that this morning you would just explain your word, um, God, that you would, you would draw us to the place you would have us to be this morning. God, we know, we know we need you. We, we love you. We thank you. And God, we believe you're going to move this morning. So I'm um, just clear my head and my heart. Help me to focus on you. I need you, Lord. Amen. Amen. So, um, Luke 2, right? We're to be in Luke 2 this morning, and we're going towards verse 25, but I want to read a few verses back, if that's okay. We're going to start around 21. And um, the reason for that is, is we see that Luke is setting the stage for what's about to happen in 25. When we left off um, Tuesday, I guess, it feels like forever ago now on Christmas Eve, Jesus had been born, the shepherds have come, and, and they've seen this baby, and they left, and they went to tell everybody, like, hey, the Messiah has been born, and, and now we're like, well, where are we at? And verse 21 starts to, to share that story. It says, in 21, when the eight days were completed for his circumcision, so in other words, this is now eight days after the birth of Jesus, Jesus is going to be circumcised on the eighth day, which is a thing that would happen to all um, all the people, all the boys born into the tribe of Israel, all the Hebrew boys would be <laughs> circumcised on the eighth day. The reason for that is, it says in the law in Leviticus 12.3, this is going to be a thing, so uh, he was already just eight days old and his parents were helping him to follow the law, and it says eight days were completed and he was circumcised, and at that point in time, he was officially named Jesus, or Yeshua, um, Joshua, if you want to Americanize that, which means God saves. That's the name of Jesus. actually stands for that. Jesus, he was named that on the eighth day, and it says, the name given to him by the angel before he was conceived. And if you look back in Luke 1, you see that the angel shows up to Mary, and he says, hey, you're going to have a son. It's going to be the son of God. And she's like, I've been with a man. That's really weird. And he's like, don't worry about it. It's going to happen. And when he comes, you're going to name him Jesus. If you look in uh, Matthew chapter 1, we see that after he's conceived and Joseph's thinking about walking away, the angel comes and he tells him the same thing. Hey, name this kid Jesus. And then he ends up being with Mary. But uh, it says they gave him this name that the angel told him before he was conceived. In 22, it says, And when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were finished, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. So now 
were more than eight days out. Her days of purification, according to Leviticus 12, are another 33 days. So that starts on the day of the circumcision. So 33 plus 7, not 8, makes 40 days. We're 40 days out from the birth of Jesus right now. And um, her days of purification are over. And at that point in time, he's going to go up and he's going to be presented to the Lord. In Jerusalem, you know, the capital city of God, there's this uh, temple there and the manifest presence of God dwelt in that temple, that place. And they were going to bring him like every other male that's been born uh, for years and years and years and years and years into the temple. And they're going to dedicate him to the Lord. And it says in 23, just as, just as it is written in the law, the Lord, every firstborn male will be dedicated to the Lord. If that's bold in yours, it's because it's a verse that comes out of Exodus 13. And this is something that they would have done. It's the law. They're keeping the law. They're doing the thing, the religious thing they're supposed to do. And in 24, it says, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, back to Leviticus 12, a pair of turtle doves or two young Pigeons. So here's the stage that Luke is setting. Jesus has been born. Now we're 40 days out. Jesus has been circumcised. He's been named. And now they're bringing him into the temple to present him before the Lord. And when they do that, they're going to also offer this purification offering um, for, for the mother Mary. right? And the offering we see is two turtle doves or two pigeons. If you read in Leviticus, the proper offering is a lamb supposed to bring a lamb in they're going to sacrifice that lamb but if you're poor god makes provisions because it's not just a rich people game or a good people game or a whatever people game it's every people game and he makes provisions for those people you can bring two turtle doves in or two pigeons in like a cheaper offering one for a burn offering and one for a sin offering and then you would be taken care of now what's amazing to that is we see again in the story of Jesus not born into wealth or power. He's born into poverty and almost a broken home. And this is still the story of Jesus. You know, like the, the wise men came and they gave him gold but didn't give him enough right to buy a lamb. Like they, they, they're coming into the temple and they're bringing this poor people offering. And, and they don't know it, but God knows it. They're actually bringing both offerings. They're bringing a lamb into the temple for the very first time, Jesus, the Son of God. And then they're bringing this sacrifice in of, of these pigeons. And it's such an amazing story that Luke is painting on the page here for us. And I think with that background, maybe we'll dive into 25 in a little better spot. It says in 25, here's where we're going this morning. There was a man in Jerusalem. Thank you, Luke, right? Like... <laughs> is very theological of you, right? Like, obviously, there are men in Jerusalem. There are a lot of men in Jerusalem. He's going to talk about a specific man here in just a moment. But there's a man in Jerusalem, and this guy's name was Simeon. Now, again, there's probably lots of men in Jerusalem, and a lot of those men probably have the name Simeon. It's not a common name for us, but it was one of the 12 tribes of Israel. There was a name Simeon, and this guy's in Israel, and there's probably lots of boys in Israel who've been named Simeon. It's a very common name, probably. So we don't get much else about Simeon's name or heritage or where he's from, but we do get there's a man in Jerusalem. His name was Simeon. It says this man was a righteous and devout man. We get a little bit of the character of Simeon. It says he's a righteous and devout man. Now, it wouldn't have been hard probably to find a a man in Jerusalem named Simeon who was a devout man. These were very religious people, like God's people, uh, the Jews, are are still so tied to God that that some of them are atheists, but they still practice their religion. They don't believe in a God, but they'll go through the motions of the religion because their heritage, their identity is so tied to God through through just the Old Testament, who they are. They're, They're God's people. 
And in, in this time, there would have been lots of devout people in Jerusalem. It's the most religious group of people on the planet. And this is the, the, the city that the temple is in. Like, he wouldn't have stood out because he was a man named Simeon who was religious. That's what I'm trying to say to you. But the word righteous would have helped him stand out a little bit because God only refers to 13 people in the whole of the Bible as righteous people. Isn't that crazy? Like, I don't know how many pages there are in your Bible and how many verses there are in the Bible. I had to memorize that when I was little. Like, we didn't do that in Bible school, I guess. And I know there's 66 books, and there's a lot of verses in those books. And I don't know how many those are. But in all those verses, God only speaks about 13 people as being righteous. Now, righteous is a word that means morally right or justifiable. Now, what I'm not saying to you or suggesting to you is there's only 13 moral people that existed in the Bible. There's more than probably 13, in our eyes, moral people in in this room. I would look at most of you and just the little that I know about most of our lives, I would say on the outside, you you seem to be a moral person. Maybe you look at me and you're like, Brad's a moral person from from seeing me on the outside. And maybe compared to you, I am. Maybe compared to you, I'm not. It doesn't really matter because it's not really up to you to judge anyway. It's up to God. But God calls... 13 people in the whole of the Bible, righteous, and three of those people are God. Three of those instances, God is referring to God when he says righteous. So there are 10 humans that that God refers to, people like us, that God refers to as righteous. Now, that's that's insane. We're covering like about 4,000 years of history at this moment, and, and this guy is one of 10 people in 4,000 years God has looked at, and he said, that's a righteous guy. I guess what I'm saying is maybe God's standards of righteousness are different than our standards of righteousness. Isn't it amazing we can find a city of religious people, but we only get one guy that God calls righteous? We can find a country, actually, of religious people, and God calls one guy righteous righteous in that whole group of people. All these people would say, I'm God's people. They're still burning the temple hot. There's still sacrifices going on. They're walking in to make one. They're not the only people, right? That's still a thing. They're still singing the songs. They're still reading the scripture, but God only calls 10 people in all of this religion righteous. And that's not like our definition of righteous. That's like God says, that's a pretty good dude. And this is Simeon. Right, like he would have stood out. He's, he's a different kind of guy. You're Simeon who is, yes, just another guy in Jerusalem. Probably one of many that have that name. Probably one of many that are devout. But very few of them does God look at and calls them righteous. And this is that guy. Now, I don't know about you, but um, I don't know that I would make that list. In 4,000 years, God calls 10 people righteous. We've had 2,000 more and, you know, like maybe five more (laughs) statistically. And I don't think that I would make that list. To you, yeah, cool, whatever. But to God, probably not making the cut, right? Like this this is a different kind of guy. It says that Simeon was a righteous and devout man. And then it says this weird phrase about him who is looking forward to Israel's consolation. 
looking forward to Israel's consolation. This is what it says about Simeon. Now, we don't even know what that means, right? Like, okay, thank you, Luke 2. Um, let's put that in normal people language. What do you mean looking forward to Israel's consolation? Um, well, consolation is a word that means comfort. And what it's saying is he's looking forward to Israel's comfort, right? Like he's looking for, forward to this comforter that is coming. And what we know is, if you've read the Old Testament, that this, this Messiah is supposed to be this, this comfort or consolation of Israel. He's a man who's looking forward to the Messiah. He's looking for the Messiah. Now, again, in Israel, you'd be like, okay, well, that's, you know, like how many people are looking forward to, to this Messiah? How many people are looking forward to the promise of God? Right? Because 4,000 years of history, God has been talking about this Messiah. Hey, there's somebody coming who's going to crush the serpent's head. And then that's just in Genesis 3. And then he spends the next, like, however many books are in the Old Testament, talking about and uncovering and, and, and revealing things about this Messiah. God has been speaking of the Messiah for 4,000 years to this group of people who are a very religious people who have a book like us, like maybe not as many pages, but they have a book like us that they would study and sit around and memorize and talk about and, you know, have Bible studies over. Like, this is those people... And for 4,000 years, this has been a super big deal to God. And you would think that all the people, right, would be looking forward to this promise of God. But it seems as if maybe Simeon, if it's going to talk about it, is, is maybe not one of many, but one of a very few. You're like, well, how, how do you get that? Um, well, because if you, if you flip back like two books, right, to, to Matthew, in chapter 2, when the, the these magi come, these... Uh, wise men, as you would probably know them, they, they show up into the city of Jerusalem, same city, and they start telling this this tale, hey, where is this newborn king of the Jews? It should have triggered in everybody's mind like they're looking for the Messiah. But it seems like if you read that chapter that nobody there is actually looking for the Messiah. I'm like, how do you get that? God's been promising this for 4,000 years. These people have heard it and read it and memorized it and studied it. And like they even show up in, in Matthew 2 and then King Herod's like, hey, where's the Messiah going to be born? And these guys are like, oh, yeah, obviously Bethlehem of Judea. It's right here in this book. Like they know exactly where the prophecy is. They know the promises of God, but no, none of them are looking forward to this promise of God or at least a very few amount of them. You're like, how does that happen? Well, for 400 years at this point in time, God has not spoken through a prophet or a person. There's been a 400-year period of silence because God was so fed up with their religion. They're going through the motions. They're singing the songs. They're bringing the sacrifices that God actually writes in his word. Just shut down the temple. You're making me sick. I wish you'd just shut the doors. Yes, you're religious, but your heart... Here's the key is far from me. You, you, you praise me with your mouth, but, you, but your heart is far from me. You'll, you'll stand in the temple and you'll sing the songs and you'll bring the offerings, but you're even bringing less because you don't see who I am and you don't care who I am. Your heart is far away. You're the most religious people on the planet, but, but your heart doesn't long for me and it makes me sick. And God's like, just shut down the temple. Why are you doing this? Why, that's what he says in that, in that book. Why are you doing this? Turn the altar off. Go home. Because the songs in their self, they don't mean anything if the heart's not there. And the, offer, the offerings don't mean anything if your heart's not there. And reading and memorizing and going through the motions, it doesn't mean anything if your heart is not there. So God's like, I'm just done. 
not going not gonna to talk. Not listening anyway, not going to talk. And 400 years now, these people have had right, the word, they've had, they've had pages to look at and things to memorize and songs to sing and altars to burn things on. But God's not speaking and it seems like nobody has noticed. But what's happened is they've become a very religious people, but a people that are so far from God. That now the promises of God, they don't mean anything. I'll memorize the thing, but I don't know if I believe this. I'll sing the song, but I don't know if I believe this. So no wonder Simeon sticks out. He's one of very few people in, in all of Israel that are like, God, I still believe what you said back in Genesis 3. 4,000 years later, here we are, and I believe that there's a Messiah coming, there's a Savior coming, there's somebody coming, there's, there's a something to your promises that just because maybe there's been 4,000 years of history that's happened, it doesn't make the promise any less. And it doesn't mean you've forgotten. And it doesn't mean you've walked away. Maybe you can hear this and you start to see how we might tie into this story. Because for a lot of us, there's so many things that God has promised on this page. And it's just like, eh, it may happen out there sometime. But I'm not really thinking about it. And I would maybe even propose to you today that the reason Simeon is in the story, the reason that he gets on the page today is not because he was a well-dressed man or he was a handsome man or he was a smart man or he was an intelligent man or he was a powerful man or he was a rich man because we don't know any of that stuff. It's because he believed the promises of God in a way that it affected his being, his life. There is a Messiah coming and I believe that at any moment I could be face to face with him. So I'm looking and I'm living like I may round this next corner and he may be there. And God says he's righteous. Anytime you see righteousness accredited to someone in the Bible, it's because of what? faith he's not righteous because he got it all together he's righteous because he believes the promises of God and he lives in a way that makes sense with that so we get this story about this character who, who really like why is he in the story of the birth of Jesus and why do we get like 40 days out like what's going on we get this story about this guy because there's something different about this guy in a world full of religious people there's somebody that believes the promises of God and apparently that's a radical idea and this is the holy spirit was on him the Holy Spirit was on him. This is such a big deal, but it's not a big deal to us. If you, if you read this like uh, pre-Acts 2, it would have been an amazing thing. Because in the Old Testament and up until Acts 2, the way the Holy Spirit works is he, he shows up for a time, a period, on an, on an individual. And then he would 
like stay with that person until something was accomplished, until whatever God wanted to happen was accomplished. He would provide power uh, for, for whatever the circumstance is, whatever the thing is. And then once that thing was accomplished, then no Holy Spirit on you anymore. We're like, oh, yeah, I hope I can go back to the days of the fire tornadoes. And the, that doesn't even make sense, right? Like, because Acts 2, all believers, what we see is are filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a, it's a promise for, for all of us. Like if you know Jesus, you, you receive the Holy Spirit. But, but here, it's, it's such a weird thing. In Luke 2, that there's somebody that has the Holy Spirit on them. It's, it's, it's an anomaly. Something that if you, if you read the Old Testament, people would long for but never really receive. They would look forward to these days, these moments that we're living in, and we're like, oh, I just need more signs. I need more fire tornadoes. If I could just see where God would lead me, well, God leads you through the Holy Spirit. That's how that works. You don't need a tornado of fire because the power of God is living in us. And, and people would have longed for this in the Old Testament. And it says the Holy Spirit was on him. And then 26, it goes on and it says it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. You're like, well, obviously he was looking for the Messiah, right? Like the Holy Spirit was on him and he said, hey, you're going to see the Messiah. I've got to just say to you, the Holy Spirit didn't come on him so that he would be looking for the Messiah. He was looking for the Messiah and he believed in the promises of God. And then the Holy Spirit came. That's how that worked. It wasn't so God would have this little story about Simeon. It was because Simeon was already following God and living for God and believing in God. And when all that happened and come together, God was like, let me do something in this guy. Says the Holy Spirit come on him, and the Holy Spirit says, "Hey, uh, you're not going to die before you see the Lord's Messiah. You're actually going to physically put your eyes on the Savior." Now, what's amazing about this promise is we don't get to see where it happened in his life. Like he, he drops the verse in here, and the next couple verses, he's he's actually going to see the Messiah. And we we think a lot of times because that's how our our lives work, and that's how everything around us works that promise happens promise fulfilled but if you ever read like the bible for more than like three seconds you realize that god makes promises and then long long time later usually the promise comes through abraham was a young man when he left and then he was an old man when he had his son right like david was a young man when he was anointed king he was an old man when he was appointed king like there there's this there's this period of waiting that happens and what happens in that Period is faith is refined and we are molded and made into the people that God would have us to be. Faith isn't like the three seconds between God says it and he does it. Like faith is that waiting period. And, and something about Simeon's faith was amazing because he, he heard this from God. God said, hey, I'm going to do this thing. You're going to see the Messiah. And then, and then he had to live like a period. We don't know if it was a couple days, a couple years, could have been decades knowing that I'm going to see him, but I don't know when I'm going to see him. God said it's going to happen. I believe it's going to happen, but I don't know when it's going to happen. There's this tension that's built into the story. And here's the amazing thing about faith. See, we, we do it backwards. Every day we have to wait, we, we feel farther away from God's promise, right? God said he was going to do this, and here we are two weeks later, and I just, I don't know if he's going to do this. Faith doesn't work that way. See, it flips time. And every day that we have to wait, we, we realize we are one day closer 
to God's promise. So Simeon knows as he ages, as he gets older, as the days go by, weeks go by, months go by, years go by, God said it, he's going to do it, and I'm moving toward the promise of God, not away from it. So so the Holy Spirit showed up and he said, hey, uh, you're going to see the Lord's Messiah before you die. It's going to be awesome. And then verse 27 happens. 26 was an explaining verse. 27 is a back to the story verse. And it says, guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple complex. Again, here's the Spirit. And he's saying, hey, why don't we go up to the temple today? I think a lot of times when this story is told, we're like, Simeon is a priest. Well, if Simeon was a priest, he goes to the temple every day. He doesn't need to be guided by the Spirit. It's the routine. This is something out of the routine. And, and But the, the way that it says it determines probably for us that he didn't do this every day, just hoping he was going to walk into the temple one day and he was going to see the Messiah. Here's 40 days after the birth of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit says, hey, uh, we're going to the temple today. What's amazing about that is God had also previously arranged that the Messiah would be in the temple that day. If he didn't listen to the Holy Spirit, guess what wouldn't have happened that day? I don't know if I feel like it today. I don't know if I want to do that today. I was going to have these plans today. I was going to do this thing today or whatever today. It's like, no, you said to go, so I'm going to go. So he goes and God had arranged a meeting at that moment. And it says he goes into the temple. And it says, at that moment, when the parents brought the child, Jesus, to perform for him what was customary under the law, the thing that was going to happen anyway. This is where the interaction happens. Simeon took him up in his arms and he praised God. And then it gives us this thing that he says. Now, this is kind of a weird interaction. Probably they walk into the temple. Simeon, this man they've never seen before, heard of before, grabs the baby. And that would have been a weird thing. If you don't believe me, go try that at Walmart. It won't work out well for you. You'll probably end up in jail. I'm not bailing you out because uh, it's my Christmas money, right? Like, so I told you not to do it. Um, but it would have been a weird thing, right? Like he shows up and he, he just, at this moment, for some reason, realizes like this is it. Now, God had not revealed to him what the Messiah was going to look like, where he was going to be, where he was going to meet him, how old he was going to be. But the Holy Spirit confirmed that this is him. The same Holy Spirit that put him in the right place at the right time confirmed that this, in fact, is the Messiah, the Savior. He wasn't walking around the temple just picking up all the babies. This one doesn't feel like him. He was guided by the Holy Spirit to walk in. And he was guided by the Holy Spirit to the Savior. And he picks him up. And I would bet that this is probably not, if he was dreaming about this at night or he was thinking about this a week ago, this is not the thing that he would have thought would have been happening. I'm going to walk up to the Messiah and he's going to be a baby. He's probably looking for something different than that. But the Holy Spirit said, it's not what you're looking for that matters. It's the reality of who he is that matters. And it may look like a baby, but man, this is an important baby. (laughs) And he grabs this baby, and even though it probably wasn't what he was expecting, he does this weird thing. He begins to praise God. Now, wouldn't it have been foolish to be like, God, that, that wasn't what I thought I was getting. I've been waiting on this the whole my whole life, and I thought this was going to be like some warrior with a sword, but it's a baby, so I'm just, I'm not worshiping, I'm done. God, you didn't give me what I thought I expected or I thought I needed or I thought was the thing, so I'm shutting down. 
Maybe it's not really about what we expect or we think we need. It's about what God wants us to have. It's about what God expects. So he picks up this baby and he begins to worship God, to, to praise him. And he says this crazy thing, 29, now master, now God, you can dismiss your slave in peace. What's, what's he saying? You promised me that I would live till I saw the Messiah and this is him. You can take me now. I don't have any, like, I don't want to do anything else. Like, that was it. I've been, I've been living for this till, till here and here he is and I'm good. I don't need to move off somewhere and retire. I don't need to get everything in order. I don't need to go tell people stories. I don't need, I don't need to do anything. Like, this is the thing that I've been waiting for my whole life. This is the moment I've been trying to get to. You said it was going to happen before I die, and now I'm good. I'm good. I've seen him. Take me home. <laughs> get me out of here. What a, what a weird thing to say. How many of us are like, I've met Jesus. Like, I'm good. I did, I, I did the prayer. I'm living for him. Like, but but I, I'm ready to go. Well, let me just put it this way. Paul says it this way. To live is Christ. To die is gain. Uh, I have something to do here right now. And if, if I'm here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. But man, I, I would rather... I'd rather go on home. Some of you immediately, that's, that's morbid, Brad. No, that's, that's real. Because nothing compares to what we've seen. Like the world has nothing else to offer in, in light of that. And nothing compares, listen to this, to where we're headed, where we're going. And he says, hey, um, yeah, this is, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> you can take me now. Uh, I've seen it. Uh, I'm good. Now you can dismiss your slave in peace according to your word. He still uh, believed your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. He doesn't know how it's going to happen. Didn't matter. He doesn't get the intricacies of the cross in this moment. It doesn't matter. God sent a savior. His name is Jesus. And I've seen him. If I'm here, teach me the rest. If I'm not, I'm good to go. I've seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all the people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, to the people that are not God's people. Forty days, and he's, God's already shown people, it's not just for like a select group of people. This is for everybody, right? Like we saw the, the, the shepherds showed up. They weren't supposed to be there. We saw later on. The wise men showed up. They weren't supposed to be there. And here in the middle of the story, God's already showing people, this is for everybody. It's not for the religious people or the people that have it together or the moral people. It's for all the people. And that's his prayer. It goes on. It says the father and mother, you know, blah, 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 blah. Rest of the story. Leave the temple. We catch up with Jesus again when he's 12. We catch up again when he's 30. We get this little story in, in the middle about this man who's surrounded by religious people but just believes God's promises. Believes him so much that God gives them to him in an unexpected way and he says, you know what, I'm good. Take me out of this place. 
Now, I'd bet there's probably not many of us today that at the end of this thing, when I close it down, are going to come down to the front and put your face to the ground and say, God, I've seen you take me out of this place. I would pretty much guarantee that that's not going to be the thing that the very many of us pray. I'm not even asking you to do that. Like, that's not the, the point of this morning. Hey, let's all come down here together and pray God kills us. Like, that's not what I'm saying. But I think that the question is there, like, if God did today, like, would we be good? If God did, like, show up today, would would we be good? Or would we be like, hey, God, um, if you could just not... Because I got to do this, and 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 I got to do this. I got plans, God. I got stuff I need to do, God. I got, I got to, I got to get to this point. And you know, like when I, when I'm 99, and I'm just laying in bed one night, before I get sick, and before I'm immobilized, and I can't move, and I can't do the thing, like before quality of life goes down um, then like then you can just take me in my sleep I just want to and I'm gone but here's the reality that's not going to be most of our story See, God made some promises, right? Maybe the promise today isn't like Simeon's or waiting on a savior to the first time come into the world and we have very little info about how that's going to happen and what it's going to look like. But, but we still have a promise like Simeon and that promise is that like God is coming back. Now, the reason only three people amen that is because we grew up in church and we've heard that story about 72 million times. And we read like it's probably in the tabloids this week because it's always like at the end of the year, like, hey, God's coming back this year. Like 2020 is the year. 2019 was the year before that. And 2018 was the year before that. And 2017 was the year before that. And 16 and then 15 and 14 and 13 since 1986 and before. Like I've been reading that on, on the tabloids as you walk through the grocery store. And I've heard it and I've sat in church gatherings where people have been like, hey, Jesus is coming coming back. And, and eventually 33 years later, there, there's something that triggers in your brain. That's like, yeah, he probably is sometime eventually, but I'm going to go in my sleep at 99 years old in my bed. And I don't have to worry about that. And maybe, but like, what if he doesn't? What if he come back like tomorrow? Or today? What if like at just the end of this thing, we come up and we sing, Lord, I need you. And then just the heavens open up and then God steps down into the room and he's like, hey, church, we're, we're getting out of here today. Like, hey, that'd be kind of amazing, right? Like, But like the reality of it is like we have this promise, this promise that God is coming back to this place. And, and I know we live in the, in the tension of like I've heard that a million times and it's going to happen maybe like a thousand years from now or like 2,000 years from now or, you know, 
even a hundred years from now, none of us are going to be here probably, but you know, like it's going to happen out there, but it's not going to happen here. Can I just say like, there were a lot of people living around Simeon that felt that way. Ah, yeah, God, yeah, he's probably going to send a Messiah sometime. He's been talking about it for 4,000 years, but I'm not going to see it. But there was like somebody on the page that was like, you know what? God said it. God said it. God said he's sending a savior, a Messiah. And I'm just going to like, I believe God. So I'm just going to, I'm going to pray, God, send the Savior, send the Savior, send the Savior. I'm looking for the Savior. I'm I'm looking for the Savior. I know you said you're going to send him, so send him. We need him, obviously. We're ready for him, obviously. If you looked around, this place is nuts. Like, everybody's religious, but their heart's far from you. It's crazy in here. We need your Savior, so send your Savior. And because of that, Simeon lived with this expectation that at any moment I could just turn around and then God's Savior could be there. And here's the thing. I've grown up in the church and I've never seen one person that lives like that. I've heard people, like especially like very early on in life, they were like, Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. But we don't even talk about that anymore, do we? Because it's crazy because we've heard it a million times. But man, there was something about that that just it did something in Simeon. He, he believed God's promises. It was counted to him as righteousness. There was this faith thing that was happening and he lived in a way that was like any moment I could see him. So I'm not gonna waste time. Any moment I could see him. So I'm gonna live with the urgency of any moment I could see him. I'm not living in this place of, yeah, like everybody else, we're just going through the motions and doing the thing and trying to get to this place where I'll be happy with my life. It's like, man, my life could be over tomorrow because I see him and I'm leaving this place and I, and I long to see him. So I've got some stuff to do. And the question is, do we not have the same promise? God is sending the Messiah, not the first time, but another time. And he's going to call his church out of this place. And if he did that tomorrow or today, how many of us would be like, hey, I got stuff to do. God, could you just come back now? I didn't know you were just, just, let me just schedule this for next week because there's some some things I'd like to wrap down. Like if, if we're leaving this place, because here's the reality. If Jesus is coming back tomorrow, who cares about the promotion? And who cares about the car and who cares about the house and who cares about the bank account because I'm going to leave this place and I don't even know that I get to take my shoes. So who cares about any of that? Jesus is coming back and I've got some stuff to do. Not this temporary stuff, but like eternal stuff. Because if we left today, how many of us would leave family members? Really, real question. How many of us today would leave family members if we left today? How many would leave friends if we left today? How many of us would be left if we left today? There's an urgency that comes with believing the promises of God. What did God say? Go make disciples. Go do something. Go. I'm coming back. I'm coming back. Why are you standing here staring at the cloud? I'm coming back. Like, go do something while you're waiting. There's an urgency. Time is running out. It's short. And here's the reality. He may come back 300 years from now, but I'm not going to make it till then. You've heard about it. There's a story 
Christmas Eve, there was a kid leaving a Christmas Eve gathering, kind of like we had, run across the road, met in a car. Ten years old, he's not here. He's in heaven. <laughs> what a promise, right? He's in heaven with God today. He's, he's sitting on the lap today of Jesus, maybe. Ten years old. I may not make it to 99 in my sleep. I may go out of this place today. And I've got some people I want to take with me. There's an urgency that comes with the promises of God. God said, I'm coming back. Do you believe it? God said, I'm taking you with me. Do you believe it? God said, life is short and it's temporary. It's a vapor. And one day we're going to leave this place. Do you believe that? And if you believe that, what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? Don't let us, God, be a religious people that sings the songs and reads the words and has the Bible studies and goes to church but doesn't believe the promises of God.